Hello, and welcome to the Life Center Podcast. We're a church in Tacoma, Washington that exists to inspire our community to love and follow Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at all of our campuses, you can download the Life Center app, interact with us on social media, or visit lifecenter.com. Let's jump into this week's message. Thanks for listening. You know, Good Friday for me is always a bittersweet time of reflection as a follower of Jesus. Bitter in the fact that I think about what Jesus had to endure. But sweet in the fact that he was willing to do it for me. And I, I, I know for many of us, uh, a night like this could be maybe a little bit uncomfortable. I know some of us were watching right now going, whoa, tone it down. What's going on? But I think unless we take time in our journey to stop and really think about the sacrifice of Jesus, it's easy to lose sight of why this message of grace really matters. See, as much as I want to avoid it, I I don't really like to deal with or talk about or focus on the, the topic of death, but Good Friday, in my journey every year, it brings me back to face the cold, hard reality of death, of this dynamic. And as much as I want to avoid it, as much as I want to try to not deal with it, the, the challenge is I have to face the reality of my failure and my flaws. And, and not just my failure and my flaws, let's call it what it is, my outright rebellion against a holy, perfect God. It's challenging. It's challenging. You see, grace is this idea that that Jesus has done for me what I could not do for myself. You see, the grace of Jesus is that I didn't have to make the payment. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't a payment necessary or that a payment wasn't made. I think it's important for us to consider that. You see, if you're anything like me, you you have a tendency to sanitize the reality. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe you found yourself thinking or, or even saying, well, Tyler, couldn't God just out of his love just forgive us? But the dynamic of that thought is it misses the idea of what justice really is. See, God is perfectly holy and perfectly just. And the dynamic of my rebellion, a a holy and just God, there, there was a very real debt that had to be dealt with. According to Romans chapter 6, this debt that my rebellion created, it doesn't just create distance from God, it actually means I am dead in my sin. And I get it, it's a little bit hard to hear. That's why I think Good Friday is, for as followers of Jesus, it's a little bit of a sobering moment for us. As we remember the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. 
See, God, because he's perfect, because he's holy, he couldn't just wink at our sin. He couldn't just sweep it under the rug. Just as the debt was very real, so a real payment had to be made. What's amazing about Good Friday is, once again, we get the opportunity to stand back in awe at a perfect, holy God who loves us so much that he was willing to step into our place. My sin, though, it created a very real debt. Your sin, it created a very real debt. But I have good news for you tonight. The payment was real. And the payment was more than enough. A little bit later on, we're, we're going to celebrate communion. And so for those who are watching at home, I would encourage you, over the next couple of minutes, maybe you want to gather some of those emblems together, whatever you have in your house. But tonight, I, I want us to journey down a road together. And tonight's it's different by design. The moment, we're going to journey through some of the gospel account. And this good God that we're speaking about tonight and singing about, he was so passionate to surround us, to surround humanity with his life and love, that the good news is this, he took the payment on himself. That's good news. That's good news. See, tonight, over the next few minutes, I want us to journey through the gospel of Mark, chapter 14. And as we're preparing to to journey together, here's what I want us to recognize tonight. Jesus, he took on and was surrounded by everything that we are. Why? So that we could receive and be surrounded by everything that he is. I want you to think about the list of everything that we are. We are people who are flawed, are we not? We are people who have some fractures. Anybody know somebody in your life that has some issues? How many know that maybe you also have some issues? In this dynamic, listen. Jesus, he took on himself everything that we are. He was surrounded by everything that we are. Why? So that in his grace, we could take on, we could receive and be surrounded by everything that he is. That means his perfection. Now we are clothed in it. His righteousness is now imputed to us. His life becomes our life. Friends, that's why Good Friday is so good. But as Garrett said so well earlier tonight, to Jesus' closest friends. They didn't know the outcome of Sunday. See, to his disciples, they they saw their hopes get nailed to a cross. They saw their rabbi, their teacher, suffer. And tonight, I I think there's, there's a healthy tension for us to embrace in this moment. Why? Because... If we fast forward past this, we miss. Even though grace is free, friends, it is the most expensive and costly thing that could ever be given to us. That's why this news is so good. 
And tonight, I, I want you to go on a journey with me, if you would. I want us to journey through six moments that lead us to the pinnacle of Good Friday. And I want you to journey with me through the scriptures, through the gospel accounts, and, and we're actually gonna begin on Thursday night. And I wanna talk over the next couple of minutes about six moments that lead us to Good Friday. Moment number one was this, it was a meal. Can you say a meal? Jesus, he, he gathers his disciples together. The feast is going on, the feast of Passover in Jerusalem. And he gathers his disciples together in this upper room for their Passover meal. And as he's there, God in the flesh is, is speaking and helping his disciples to understand something. And, and he demonstrates something through this meal that they share together. Listen to these words in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 22. It says this, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, and, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for many. That's me, that's, that's you. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is doing something so significant here, friends. As he breaks the bread and he's, as he shares the cup, he's revealing a new covenant, an agreement. With the backdrop of Passover happening and, and the backdrop of Passover for those who are maybe newer to scripture in Exodus chapter 12, we read about God commanding his people as they're in slavery in Egypt to take a perfect spotless lamb and kill it. And to take some of the blood of that lamb and apply it to the doorposts of their home. And that night as the wrath of God is being poured out on Egypt, that wrath would then pass over those who have applied the blood. And in the backdrop of this, Jesus is taking this bread and, and taking this cup, which represents his blood, in the Passover moment, and he's instituting a new covenant, but it's confirmed not in your effort, not in your earning, it's confirmed in his blood. Jesus shares this meal with his disciples. He shares this meal with his friends. You see, just like God was going to deliver his children from the bondage in Egypt, Jesus is revealing that we are gonna be delivered from the bondage to sin through the work that he's about to accomplish. But the movement towards Good Friday, it, it begins with a meal, but from a meal, it then moves to another scene. See, from this meal, all of a sudden, we, we moved to see Jesus take his disciples to a familiar place. It was the Mount of Olives, and, and they go into a garden called Gethsemane. And where do we see Jesus in this moment? We see him experience agony in the garden. See, Jesus, he gathers with his disciples probably in a familiar place. 
And the scripture says this in, in Mark chapter 14, look at verse 32. It says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Why is that so important? Because if we're not careful, we read scripture like Jesus is a robot. That he didn't have real feelings, real emotions. But understand, yes, he is fully God, but he is also fully man. And according to Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he gave up divine privileges and he was willing to take on the form of a servant. And Jesus, as he moves from that meal, he, he finds himself back in this familiar garden and, and he begins to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he says to three of his closest friends, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. Have you ever been in a situation where, where you find yourself saying, if there's any other way, let it be something else. That's exactly where Jesus finds himself. He prayed that if it were possible, that hour might pass from him. And, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. See, Jesus, the reason why he's feeling agony in the garden is because he understands the cup that he's about to drink from. And as he's there in that garden scene, maybe, maybe near a rock, kneeling, and he's asked his three closest disciples to join him and watch in prayer. He prays, God, all things are possible for you, Father. Remove this cup from me, but then he prays something important, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, he, he surrenders his will to the Father. And it says that he came and he found the disciples sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you, are you asleep? Could you not watch and pray one hour? He says this in verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Imagine the, the agony that Jesus is in and and he takes his disciples to this familiar place in the garden. But, but think about it. Your three closest friends, you just want them to, to stay with you, to pray with you, and they're asleep. And that agony that he feels, he's carrying it. He's shouldering it. In one of the gospel accounts, it says that Jesus, he, his sweat became like drops of blood. He's, he's begging the Father if there's any other way, and yet he continues to surrender in the form of a servant. See, the second movement towards Good Friday on that Thursday night, they move from the meal to, to Jesus now experiencing agony in the garden. And if that wasn't enough, the very next thing that Jesus experiences is a kiss 
of betrayal. We read that Judas, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, had had set the stage for the betrayal to happen. We read about this as we continue on in, in Mark chapter 14. Starting in verse 43, it says this, and and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs. One of the gospel accounts says that they show up with torches and and imagine the moment of, of what those torches look like, illuminating the face of the Son of God as he's just been crying out in agony, praying in pain says this from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders now the betrayer had given them a sign saying the one I will kiss is the man this is Judas he, he spent the last three years journeying with Jesus he saw the blind eyes open he saw the fishes and the loaves multiplied and feeded, fed the masses says, the one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, teacher, and kissed him. See, Judas understood that this is his moment of opportunity. Judas knew where they would be. He he knew the place well because they had been there before. And here's the dynamic. Understand, once again, God in a garden feels the kiss of betrayal from mankind. You see, in Genesis 3, God in a perfect garden looks at his creation, which he loved, and and man, out of their rebellion, gives God so-called a kiss of betrayal on the cheek, and now God in the flesh all these years later, as he stands in a garden, once again feels the kiss of betrayal. See, Jesus, the story doesn't end there for him. How many of us, if if we knit together just what we've experienced so far, that that would be a rough night. But unfortunately for Jesus, the the night is just beginning because from the meal to the agony in the garden to the, the kiss of betrayal next, we see something heartbreaking. The very next moment that we see as we move towards Good Friday is complete abandonment from his disciples. In fact, one of the saddest verses I think in scripture is is found in verse 50 right there of, of Mark chapter 14. And it says this, and they all left him and fled. I want you to think about your moment of deepest need, your moment of darkest agony. And, and all, of, all of your friends said, hey, no matter what happens, I'm with you. No matter what happens, I will never turn away. And yet that's exactly what not just one or two of the disciples do. They all run and flee. They're they're abandoned. They're abandoning Jesus. We read as we continue on in verse 53, it says this, and they led Jesus to the high priest. 
And all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together and, and Peter had followed him at a distance. Can you say distance? Why is this important? Because Peter earlier that evening said, listen, Jesus, even if everybody else runs away, even if all else fall away, I will never leave you. In fact, Jesus, if I have to, I will die for you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. And yet, what do we see going on with Peter? Peter is now following Jesus at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards warming himself by the fire. Can I remind us tonight that distance from God is always a cold reality? How many times have, have I tried to warm my hands, so to speak, by the fire because I was wanting to follow out a distance. I, I didn't want to get caught up in the mess. I didn't actually want to be faithful like Jesus was calling me to be faithful. Imagine as Peter hears the roar of the fire and the, the crackle of the wood and he's there warming his hands and he's recounting, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to deny him three times. I'm going to live up to my end of the agreement this time. And one person asks and he denies. Second person asks, he denies. Third person asks. He denies, and in that bitter moment, Peter hears the rooster crow, and he realizes, once again, I've, I've abandoned my friend. See, that takes us in, into early on Good Friday morning, and, and if you could think for a moment how lonely that place would have felt for Jesus. Being surrounded by Isolation, being surrounded by the weight of what he was going to face. Friends, why would he do it? It's because he loved us. See, that night it goes from a meal to agony in the garden to a kiss of betrayal to abandonment by his closest friends. But the story doesn't end there because the next movement towards Good Friday, Jesus experiences anguish in the beating. As we look to chapter 15 of Mark's gospel, it says this, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released to them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Scourging was a Roman judicial penalty where they would take a, a multi-lashed whip and embedded in the leather would be pieces of bone and metal. And don't, don't miss this. The Romans perfected how to torture their victims. In fact, most scholars say that it was likely to not even survive a scourging. Because as the whip would be laid across the back of Jesus, the pieces of bone and metal would lock into the flesh and they knew just how to pull it back to reveal and rip back the flesh. 
Imagine not, not just feeling abandonment from your friends, because some of us, we've had friends turn our backs on us, and that feels enough. But the agony that Jesus is carrying and the anguish now in the beating says, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. Biblical scholars note that this is about 600 Roman soldiers. And imagine after having your back torn open, the, the fatigue of being up all night in anguish, in prayer, your friends have abandoned you and, and they clothed him in purple a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. Think for a moment the agony and the beating, the scourging. Imagine the, the humiliation of, of what it would be like to be surrounded by 600 men who are taunting and mocking you. Talk about feeling helpless and, and to make matters worse, they, they grab a, a crown of thorns and they twist it together and they press it down onto your skull. Can I ask, what, what did Jesus do to deserve this? Nothing. See, here's the sobering reality. I deserved that. That should have been me. It should have been us. But God is so good that he was willing to, to take that upon himself. And friends, that leads us as, as Jesus experiences the agony and the anguish of the beating. It leads us to the pinnacle moment of Good Friday. What is that when Jesus hangs alone on a cross. In Mark chapter 15, verse 33, it says this, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine God in the flesh willingly taking the form of a servant. And in that moment, because Jesus, he, he not only shouldered it, friends, he became our substitute. He literally became the worst that we are. Why? So that we could become all that he is, being clothed as a new creation, forgiven and free. And yet in that moment, Jesus hangs alone on the cross. Becoming sin for us. As it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Jesus, as the nails are driven through his wrists and through his feet and the crowd is mocking and a thief on his right and his left are, are jeering him and mocking him as well. He, he cries out, why? Because he now feels and has taken upon himself the full weight of our sin, our shame, and our separation. Friends, in that moment, listen as we continue what it says. It says this, that some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah, and some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come down and and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last He didn't just pass out from the pain. He died in our place. He became our substitute. He became our sacrifice. But listen to this, verse 38. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That veil of separation that kept mankind away from a holy God is now torn in two. When the centurion stood facing him, he saw it and he said, truly this man was the son of God. Think for a moment. Jesus feels the the full weight of isolation. He takes it upon himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was surrounded by the full weight of our debt. And the good news is this. The payment was more than enough. The payment was more than enough. Jesus, in this moment, he he became our Passover lamb. And what looked like the greatest moment of defeat and isolation Listen, it actually became the path to victory in the gift for us to be surrounded by the life and love of God. What looked like the greatest moment of defeat became the path to victory. What looked like the greatest moment of isolation, it became the gift to be surrounded by the life and love of God. Friends, this is why Good Friday matters. The curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, Jesus, he he became the way to access God. Friends, the veil has been removed. We could not do that. We deserved everything he experienced. And in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. This is a holy moment. This is a sacred moment. And can I encourage you tonight, allow this moment to become personal. Don't let it remain just locked up on on the pages of scripture. Let it intersect your life today. Let it become personal, but also let it become powerful. That a God who is perfect and holy loved you. He was passionate to surround you 
So much so that he was willing not just to share a meal with his disciples, not just to experience agony in the garden or a kiss of betrayal or abandonment from his disciples or anguish in the beating or to hang alone there on the cross. Friends, he was willing to endure all of that, that we could be welcomed in to this new covenant, this new way of relationship through his blood, through his work that our debt is paid in full. Listen, in a moment, we're gonna celebrate communion, but before we do, maybe you have yet to make this personal. Tonight, maybe you need to surrender your life to Jesus. You need to put your trust. You need to make that relationship personal. In other words, Jesus already said, the, the covenant that I'm putting into place, it's confirmed in his blood. It's, it's confirmed in the work that he's done. In other words, it's not through your effort or earning that you're made right. It's not through your effort or earning that gets you access through the curtain. It's confirmed in his blood. But have you made it personal? Have you put your trust in him? He is our perfect Passover lamb. Tonight, if it's your desire to say yes to Jesus, you want to make him king, you want to make him Lord of your life, if that's your desire before we celebrate communion, can I invite you to say this simple prayer with me? I'm going to say a simple prayer, and I'd love for you to repeat these words. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for paying my debt. I want to serve you with all of my life. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight, I want you to consider this song that the team's going to lead us in before we celebrate communion together.
that is the good news that we believe. That is why we are here tonight to remember, to reflect, but also to rest in the fact that the work that he has done for you, the work that he's done for me, it is more than enough. It is more than enough. And I hope that as we partake of communion tonight, that this wouldn't just be a religious relic in your life, but that it would come alive inside of you, that his work is more than enough. It's more than enough for your life. It's more than enough for the people of Life Center, but guess what, it doesn't stop there. His work is more than enough for our city. His work is more than enough for our county. His work is more than enough for our nation. His work is more than enough for the far stretches of this world. And friends, if it can change somebody like me, it can change somebody like you. And so tonight, would you join me in grabbing that piece of bread? Tonight, I want you to think about the fact that a very real body a body that never sinned, a body that never wavered in rebellion, a body that never got off track in obedience. That body was broken. That body was whipped. That body felt the pierce of a nail being driven through each wrist and through his ankles. That body felt the crushing pressure of thorns being driven into his head. Tyler, stop. I get it. Stop going. No, I don't want to stop going because I want to talk about how much the Savior loves you so that when you're tempted this next year to say, God, do you still love somebody like me? Do you, do you really still have a plan for somebody like me? No, trust me, he does. He's got more than enough. If he was willing to endure that for you, friends, he's got more than enough for you. And so Jesus, as we hold this bread, God, we remember your body that was given for us. It should have been us on the cross. It should have been my back that was torn open. It should have been my blood that ran down that, that wood on the cross. But Lord, you became my substitute. You became my sacrifice. And Lord, we stand in awe and wonder. Lord, we worship you tonight, reminding how you gave your body for us. Jesus, thank you. Come on, church, can you say thank you? Jesus, thank you for your body. Let's partake together tonight. And tonight after supper, scripture says that he took a cup and he shared it with his disciples. And he said that this cup is the new covenant confirmed in my blood. Jesus, thank you for allowing your blood to be shed for us. Scripture declares Though our sins were once like scarlet, we've been washed like fresh, clean snow, as without a single fault. 
It's not through our effort, it's not through our earning, it's not through our religious activity, it's through the work of our Savior in your blood that has confirmed a new standing, a new life, a new way, a new beginning. Our debt is paid in full. All sin, all shame, all separation, it's covered in your blood. Jesus, thank you that you are surrounded in everything that we are so that by faith we can be surrounded in everything that you are. We rest in it tonight in Jesus' name. Come on, let's partake together. Oh, come on tonight, church, can you say thank you? Come on, would you stand to your feet tonight? For those who are watching at home, would you stand to your feet? I want you to join us as we sing this song of thanks. Come on, let's sing thank you, Jesus. Thank you for breaking the bread of your body, spilling the wine of your blood. Thank you, oh my heart will sing forever. Thank you for breaking the bread. blood was more than enough. Your greatest moment of agony, your greatest moment of loneliness and isolation was more than enough. Come on, can we celebrate that again tonight? Jesus, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for what you did for us and what you're still doing today. 
God, we don't just celebrate this as some cute story in history. This is a real truth that is living in us today. Jesus, thank you for who you are, for what you've done. God, thank you that we are surrounded by your goodness, by your love, by your life today. God, we're so grateful. So, so grateful. You know, tonight as we send you from this place, I want to make sure that uh, we leave some room. We're not going to kick you out of here. And so if you need to sit for a moment, you're free to do that. In fact, if you need to come talk or pray with one of our pastors, they'll be here down front at the end of this gathering. And you can come, you can talk, you can pray with one of our team members. We don't want to rush you out of here at all. If you need to celebrate some things tonight with someone, come and do so. On your way out tonight, I want to remind you of the hope that is coming on Sunday. But I want to leave you with an assignment. There's someone, I'm sure, in your circle of influence who needs to hear that message of hope on Sunday. And I want to encourage you. I want to gently push you. Who's somebody that in the next 24 hours you can invite to join you here in person or online? We'd love to have you join us Sunday as we celebrate being surrounded by life and love and the goodness of Jesus. Join us Sunday, 8.30, 10, 11.30. We'd love to have you there. Maybe there's somebody that, uh, that that invite is a little terrifying, but but maybe there's an easier invite you could make. Tomorrow we have our Easter egg hunt. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, we'd love to have you reach out to somebody. We'd love to have you join us. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and we have a special low sensory environment at 12 o'clock. Come join us. Invite somebody to that. As you go from here, I want to thank you for your continued faithfulness and generosity, giving through this place to make a difference in the lives of people here in Tacoma and well beyond the reaches of Pierce County. There's a couple different ways that you can give. You see these on screen. There's a QR code on the seat back in front of you. There's some envelopes there. You could drop your gift with the ushers on the way out. I want to thank you for your faithfulness and generosity. Now, I'm going to pray for you, and and we're going to send you from this place if you need to go, if you've got a little one who's got a bedtime, or you're like me, and 8 o'clock's coming, and you feel like it's your bedtime. You're free to go. But you're also free to stay if you need a moment. You're free to do that. Our team of pastors will be here. They'd love to pray with you, all right? Let me pray for you, and then you'll be sent from this place. Jesus, thank you that we're surrounded by your life and your love. God, thank you that we're able to exchange isolation, anguish, sorrow, grief, loss, everything ugly inside of us was exchanged for the beauty and the goodness of who you are. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Lord, would we begin to experience that in a new and real way? God, we love you. As we go from this place, God, send us on assignment. 
Who is it that we could share this message of hope with? Who is it that we need to encourage and invite to come and be surrounded by your life, by your love? We celebrate you, Jesus. Thank you that what you did was more than enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Again, our pastors will be here if you want to pray with somebody. We love you so much. We'll see you tomorrow morning, or we'll see you Sunday.